moment of Real Talk Christian Podcast where we drink coffee and have real conversations on faith, culture, and society. This is Mark Hyde. And I'm Sleepy Chris Fuller. But welcome to 2023, baby. <laughs> 2023. Whoop, whoop, we're here. Well, to start off 2023, we figured we'd start off with an easy conversation of, does the problem of evil and suffering prove that God does not exist? You ready to talk about it, my good sir? Let's go. Let's go. You are awful fidgety over there, well, sir. Well, no, you okay? like, it's the worst feeling in the world when you're about to like talk in your mic, and all of a sudden your mic's like, where they're like, oh no, and you got like readjust everything, uh, and I just didn't adjust my mic, but I'm also a little antsy. I love the fact how you're like way scooted up close, and I'm, I'm like, short. I'm like lounging back. I'm like, there's like a good six to eight inches, like you're scooted up closer, but it makes you look. Like you're the same Taller, height as me. I guess. I don't yeah, know. So. But also, but if you stick your legs out, like right now, they still go farther than mine. Probably, yeah. I'm a little person. I can reach <gasps> way past the other Dude, side Dude, have you seen that that video that's going around where it's like the showing the difference between taller torso versus taller legs? And there's these two dudes sitting next to each other. And one has long torso and one has long legs. And the t- t- tall torso is like a eight inches taller than the other dude. And then they stand up and they flip. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Like it's wild. Wow. Wild is the difference between long torsos and long legs. But for me, I am just short. <laughs> the, I am just the, short. The fro helps you out. You get a good yeah, two and a half, three inches yeah, But it gets fro. big and then it flops over. And then it's just what it is. Is it heavy? Yes. Not right now. Not right now. <laughs> right now it's short. It's whatever. You know, we're fine. We're good to go. I like it when you cut your hair. It looks real good. I don't like it all long. Are you flirting with me? No, not at all. That's you're like, not you're I'm not like, that we're just pretty. getting we're just getting <laughs> you're not that pretty excuse you you heard me i am very pretty wow because i'm fearfully and wonderfully made bro don't even try to tw- spin that around <laughs> <laughs> oh guess me welcome to 2023 my dude we have we're made Mar- it we're mark Hyde and chris fuller ba- badger the bible <laughs> badger the bible yeah we're gonna you badger need to go the take bible. a nap i too need to or nap. you need more coffee this is what happens when you do too many too many 14 hour days and then you just go collapse <laughs> yeah yeah, I think I, earlier today on the couch, I like, I was sitting there watching. I don't even remember what we were watching. You were that out of it? I was cuddling with the kids, and I just like, just like passed out sitting up. It was crazy. Anyways. Now, so, okay, but, but when I walked in and I started podcasting, you were chilling in your chair. Yeah. With your blanket. Is that like the only spot you sit in your living room, or per, do you normally sit on the couch too? No, nah, I'll, I'll sit on the couch for every once in a while, but pretty much that's my spot. Yeah, I had to, um, so... It's not going to happen anytime soon, but we were, we bought the new house and we, one of the carpet, it's like an old nasty shag that's always been there. We need to rip out and put some new floor out. And there's just a lot of other things we've had to fix and take care of and do with life. And so in that room though, it's really funny because we just have like Oshpaz seating for the kids. Like we have like sure. two saucer chairs, a hammock swing chair. My, my lazy boy from the old house is in there and like, like, they're, they're like a beanbag, but they're not beanbags. I don't know, but just like these random like chairs things for kids. And the kids are obsessed with that room because they can just move the chairs wherever they want and then set it up or whatever. But the hard thing was, is my chair was in there. And when I watch movies and That's I want to take chair. a nap, I don't, I don't know when I became a chair dude. Yeah. I have no clue when I became a chair dude, but I'm a chair dude now. I love chairs, man. Like, I don't know if it's just, I think part of it is the fact of it, like, like this is my, my safe bubble and I can like, one can, can come to my safe bubble and no one else can come to my safe bubble. Like I can't be a swarm by like all seven because that's your oh, fall back. Yeah. Right. Well, see, that's one thing. Well, that's also why skinny. It's that's a skinny. Well, that's boy. why I got the, the extra wide fat boy 
chairs. I can fit all three of my kids on the chair with me and lounge back. It's great. Do you and Janiel ever cuddle on your chair? Yeah, all, the time, all the time. Really? When the kids let us, yeah. Seriously, because whenever, I mean, today was probably the first day I've seen you on the chair because normally Janiel's in the chair. Yeah, well, that's because usually we're podcasting. And so when I'm not there, Janiel tries to take over my chair, but it's my chair, dadgummit. So here's a kind of a funny question to sure. lead off of that. So I have different questions in front of me of 60 questions to engage your Facebook group. Uh-huh. And so we're going to use them now to For engage the podcast. podcast. And maybe right. you can take them over to the Facebook group. But one of the questions was, how do you relax after a hard day of work? Sleep. <laughs> Dinner. Yeah. Usually I come home and I sit in the chair and the kids come up and cuddle and I pass out. That's usually what happens. Not intentional. I just pass out. I would say, yeah, I probably fall asleep. That's that's probably it. But the biggest thing for me is to sit somewhere super comfy. Like if I've had a really exhausting day, like, like I'm thinking physically exhausting day too. Sure. I don't want to sit on one of our kitchen chairs no. and sit up. I want to no. go lay on the couch. So I would say now it's just lay in bed with Beth, like not mm-hmm. even, even the TV's off or whatever, or we're just sitting on the bed, just being like in our space, I would say mm-hmm. being our space where like, the, like it's our sanctuary, like mm-hmm. our bedroom is our sanctuary. So that, that, that was, uh, that was just, yeah, that question. Um, let's see. Um, what is the most impressive thing you know how to do? What is the most impressive thing you know how to do? I have a very good one. Okay, go for it. Mine is you can tell me something and to tell me to do it. I can repeat it, but when I turn around, I forget it. <laughs> it's like forgetful memory. No. Like there's a, there's a, there's a, um, it was, it was on Instagram reels from, I think it was from like modern family or something. I don't know. I've never even seen this show, but it was like, um, the wife said three different things and he's like, uh, he said something like, got it, got it. And she goes, did you say it twice? Cause you only heard two of the things or because that's just what you said. He goes, the former, like I don't hear two of the things you said, not the three. So I, I, I can do two of the things, but I don't know what the three of the things are. Like I have a, yeah. And okay. she goes, do you want me to send you a message? And and he goes, yep. And I looked at Beth and I'm like, yep. Send me a message. I guess my, my would be the, uh, I can quote movies like nobody's business. Jeez. If people or sing songs or sing, just, I would random say songs. you can just pull out, you could pull out like songs, random and show movie tunes. Quotes yeah, anytime. Right. Yep. What's yep. in your head right now? What's what, what song is in your head right now? Sing, just chestnuts sing. roasting on an open fire. That's what's in my head right now. What's a movie quote right now? Uh, <laughs> I do voices. Yes. It comes from Mrs. Doubtfire. Fire. Wow. Yeah. You pulled Mrs. Doubtfire out. Yeah, I was r- expecting it, you to say Mrs. Doubtfire. It's randomly. <laughs> That's my mind all the time. Uh, another quote. Go. Uh, uh, look at me right now, honey, punny. Why don't you go over there and do that bowl? I get to know you. That's another Mrs. Doubtfire thing. But Man, so Mrs. Doubtfire is apparently a, on Fuller's mind, but, guys. Yeah, I mean, I could do uh, keep that change, you filthy animal. Then you go home alone. Yep, and then you can yep. be like, uh, we got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. That's dumb and dumber. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it just goes on and on. When I, whenever I hear that, I always think... You know, dishonor on you, dishonor on your family, Mulan. dishonor on the cow, on yeah. your cow. Yeah, I, can't, I can't even do a movie. I can't even do it. That's one correctly. of Janiel's favorite lines, too, is is that from Mulan. Yeah, but that's probably like my superpower, I guess you would say. So here's another fun one. Okay, so what is a stereotype that you live up to? Ooh. What's a stereotype? You're, you're ready for mine? Okay. Semi-bougie. Oh, you're definitely. <laughs> Dude, that quiz was unfreaking real. Listen, I, I told you. That G- bougie episode, so that G- was so terrible. Gino got the definitely not bougie like me. Uh-huh. 
And I go, yeah, Mark got semi-bougie. She goes, it's lying. He's bougie-bougie. I'm not bougie-bougie. <laughs> you are bougie-bougie, man. I'm not rich enough to be bougie-bougie. I do any kids. <laughs> you are bougie on a Walmart budget. There you go, bougie. On, that's exactly. Actually, it's more like bougie. On, I would but, say bougie on a Target budget but, more than that. But that's, but that's only because you ain't got the money. Because if you did, you'd be bougie-bougie. You know you would be. And I drink from my metal straw with a silicone lid. And, yeah, you know, yeah, bougie. Bougie. It's not a Yeti, though. All right, so what's the stereotype you live? That's because you're on the Walmart budget. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. You tell me what what stereotype do I live up to? Go with the flow, like sure. you're chill. Yeah, like you legit are just chill. I'm like high without being high all the time. <laughs> I don't know. Chill, right? Um. Okay. Let's try to find another question really fast before right. people tune this up. Okay. So last question. All right. If someone handed you $2 million mm -hmm. to help out the world, what would you do? Mm. Well, first, you know me. I got to give my tithe, so that's number one. Which would help the local right? church, that's, I guess. That's how you going to help your church's missionaries. You wouldn't, you wouldn't invest it to turn it to $10 million to help it more? Oh, that would be a good idea. No, because the market's, be a good idea. the market's too crazy right now. Yeah, but still, that's, that would be a good so, idea. Invest it to make more First thing I would do is I'd, pr I'd probably take, like, I don't know, I don't know, maybe half of it. And like, just give it to different churches or missionaries or whatever to help them. Okay. And then organizations, whatever. And then probably the other million, it was 2 million, right? Mm -hmm. So the other million, I'd probably go around to everybody or like family member, people that I see struggling, people that I know, and just like wipe away all their debt. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Like, like I think of like, uh. Like my little brother, right? He's got a lot of debt. And I'd be like, your debt's gone. Now, would you have like a stipulation of like, you best not get back into debt again? No, it's like a one-time thing, right? Here, uh, it's like Jesus. I'm going to wipe away your sins one time. <laughs> good thing he does. I mean, it's you know. It's a good thing he's better than me. It's a good thing he's better. I mean, forgive 77 times 7, whatever that no, is. No, he paid, for the, he paid the price at one, one time, time. Yep. and he's only going to pay it at one time. Romans 5. It just happened to be that his last eternally and a million dollars doesn't go that far. <laughs> but I would take like the a couple people that I saw that were in, in big needs, and I would just wipe their debt that's what i do you know my first thought is to do something not necessarily like, like transitional housing for people coming out of foster care but i think it'd be really cool to give a lot of proceeds to like different ministries that work with uh, sons of mistletoe uh -huh. you're a, you're a sons of mistletoe guy who's that you've never, hold on you've never seen sons of mistletoe okay nope. All right, is that another old movie? We're, no, it's not an old movie, but it's a it's a movie about like this really rich business owner was giving money to this like house for kids that didn't have they were orphans, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually gave them the house. It was his old house. He gave them the house, and then he like gave them money all the time to support that the guy so he could raise these like I think they were like ten boys or twelve boys or whatever in this house. Well, he passes away, and his daughter's coming, and she's selling off all of his business and. Like the house is in disrepair and they're just trying to like ha have her continue to like invest and it, that's what the whole movie's about. Well, the guy and the girl end up falling in love. Oh, so it's Hallmark. It's a Hallmark okay. movie, but it's a good one, man. You need to watch Sons of Mistletoe. That's a good one. Did you just tell me to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie? I don't know. It might be Hallmark, but it's a good movie. It like, sounds like a Hallmark you, movie. You know me. I don't watch much Hallmark. But your but wife that, sure does. But, that, but that's a good movie. Like that's one of those 
that's a Christmas staple. I know so we're I past Christmas. But, but but so with the whole, like, you know, like kids and transitions and, and whatnot, I think the biggest one is, and I don't want to say just give opportunities because there are already a lot of opportunities, but it's like, what can we do with, I, I, don't, I don't even know, like, could we do something using the power of the church to create something to come alongside foster kids and kids that just don't have moms and dads or places to go to give them a place of love mm. and comfort and also education. Like, like I, I kind of think of like a hope resource, like, like, like hope resource center mm. here or, um, um, this, uh, the Haven up in battle Creek where it's like, you're going to live with us. We're going to teach you how to do all these things. And we're also going to teach you a whole lot about Jesus too, but so that you can like love Jesus and go be an active member in society mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe change what you it would either a generational curse or just bad decisions on your part yeah so they got they got some stuff like that like the uh the riverside church the one that has the old beacon bowl they have a community center where they put on classes yeah and stuff yeah like stuff that. like and that's that. exactly what they do they equip so i would say i, I would love to support for, ministries like that like mm-hmm. that would be super cool um the other thing just to help man just just to generically help people that's hard because like what areas are you supposed to help with you know there's like so many different ways um Two million dollars doesn't get you very far. It that's that's the problem is I mean it does because way more than one more some other money but, is going to. But do, really, but. it doesn't, right? Because you talk about doing a program like that, like that's that's more than two million dollars mm-hmm. to have a program like that, like what you just talked like about. Consistently, you're, you're, you're you talking know. about like that might support it for a few months, but like to have a consistent staff to do that and a place to do that and doing that kind of stuff, you're looking at probably I don't know three, four, five million dollars per year mm-hmm. at least for a decent program. I think that, so I think what I would do with mine, and this is where I'll, I'll, I'll land the plane, so to speak. Holy um, moly. Find ministries that are already helping people where it's like you already are being faithful in this. And just what can What more can you do with sure. this? Like if, I mean, if you had a million bucks just to be like, all right, you're going to hire like a couple new staff members just to help pour into these people even more. You know, that, that goes a long way sure. for paying people and paying like the staff members well. Like if you're paying them, you know, way above what people think they should be paying. Like, well, here's the thing, right? For a while, even two million bucks to say, all right, you know, they may hire one staff because you got to sustain that staff member. That's what I'm saying. But like, but do something where sure. you're already doing a lot of good, amazing work. But it's like well, you could use this to do a lot more because sure. you're already doing. Like I'm thinking of like back to back ministries, yeah. Jess Ronnie, ambassadors, anyone who we've talked with, ambassadors. Yeah, you know, you and check them out. So, <laughs> so I would say yeah, that sure. cool little neighbors of Paraguay. Well, I think uh, I think uh, that's a good place to to wrap up. That uh, we're not drinking coffee. I'm drinking. And flavored I do want to say we have conversations like this on the Facebook group all the time. So make sure you're over there hanging out with us. I ask a lot of random questions every Mark, single week. That's Mark's like happy place outside in the outside of the it's real my world. brain space pause while i'm working I'm like all right let's just do this and it happens happy a moment lot. and then he's, go back he's the, he's on it a lot so yeah because i'm on facebook a which lot i'm glad for don't i'm not it's not a slam that's i'm glad for it because i'm barely ever on it but uh yeah so uh bro tonight, uh, to start the year we're not drinking coffee. we're not drinking coffee it's, it's, not, a, it's not a new year's resolution no nope. it's not it's uh it's a late and we want to go to sleep and we're old and yeah and our hearts don't like a lot of caffeine <sighs> I get anxiety attacks if I drink too much. Anyways. So I'm drinking so legit water. I, I'm drinking. I got some bubbly Bro, you're over drinking here. caffeinated bubbly. But it's it's like very, it says 35 milligrams of caffeine. I ain't like My nothing. name is Chris Fuller, and I don't drink coffee because of the caffeine. I won't go to sleep, but I do drink bubbly with caffeine. <laughs> okay. That's not coffee. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> when I opened the bubbly, I forgot that it had caffeine Bro, in it. Are you so. semi-bougie with your, with your drinking habits? No, actually, you know what the funny thing is? And this was a real conversation, okay? Okay. The conversation was, hey, I'm going to Walmart to pick up some stuff. 
Uh, should I pick up some drinks for Mark tonight? I said, yeah, you probably pick up a couple different types of bubbly for him or something like that. That way he has for something me. to drink. So she bought bougie drinks for Mark Hyde. I'm just Aww. drinking them. See? Danielle, thank you. It's just like we keep the the sweet cream, uh, National Delight. That's for sweet me? Sweet cr- cream. That's the only reason why it's in my house is for you. You're the only person who drinks it now. I mean, I'll, so I'll drink half and half. I so got see? no problem drinking half yeah, and half. Yeah, but I drink fat-free half and half because I'm on a diet. Ooh. But, you know. Well, thank you. See, we take care of our bougie boy. I'm only here once a week. <laughs> but we take care of you. That's, that's the way we are. All right. So let's dive into this review. I'm going to read this review because you're going to be talking a lot more after that. Plus, yep. there's a reason at the end why I'm going to um, read this review. I'm almost out of water, so that's, this is going to be a fun episode. That's a problem. So Look, it's my name. This review Ooh. is called The Silent Lost Sheep by Nezcoba. Nezcoba. N-E-Z-C-O-B-A. I'm going to agree with you, Nezcoba. I'm looking at going, I think that's right. So Nezcoba says, I'm a recent saved non-denominational individual. In a spiral hill of conspiracy theorists and false teachings, I found RTC. Wow. Uh, Pause. (laughs) In a spiral hill of conspiracy theorists and false teachings, I found RTC. Uh, I want to know more of this story. (laughs) Okay. Like I, oh, I want to know, I want to know more of this story. Let's see here. Okay, yeah, I want to know more. So I've been listening for at least a year, if not longer, and never plan on leaving a co- never planned on leaving a comment due to growing accustomed to using Spotify. But in recent months, I found myself becoming lukewarm, and despite knowing the enemy lies, I wanted to give up. RTC has been something that helped me through my current storm. While I'm still in my storm, fun facts with Fuller, the innocent laughter. Yeah, I, I, I almost cute, but like, nope, it's at the end. Is something I've looked forward to. I considered possibly skipping over, but somewhere along the way, I didn't want to give up the wholesome banter. I'm sorry, <laughs> we're bantering along again. Uh, anyways, I want to express my appreciation for this podcast and how healing it has been for me. By the way, my last name is Fuller as well. That's what? right. That's right. The Fullers unite. I feel like hope. Home person should <laughs> home person should get a little extra some some. Nescoba, Nescoba, Nescoba Fuller. Home, home person, I think home person needs a little like, extra little some some and they swag bag. Well, I think that they that Nescoba Fuller needs to uh, reach out to us and give us your information and uh, we'll get you a swag bag. And on just the to way. let people know, we haven't brought this up in a while, but we still have plenty of Bibles. Where if you do not have a Bible and you would love to have a Bible, we have study Bibles. We have. Thin line Bibles, or, or if you know somebody that doesn't have a Bible, like yeah, that's true. Like we did the uh, the uh, rehabilitation center. We had a listener yep. say, "Hey, there's a rehabilitation center. I'd like to give them some Bibles. You guys got any?" And we sent them a bunch of Bibles. So, yeah. So if you need a Bible too, reach out to us and we will get one of those suckers in the mail. Well, suckers is probably not the right word to use. It. We'll get we'll we'll get one of God's holy word in the mail for you to to, well, to we partake really in starting as you the, are as you are starting your new rhythms. We're really starting off the new year very well. Yeah, aren't I think we? the caffeine hit. I think the caffeine or the lack hit. Of. Maybe it's so a slap happy. Maybe maybe it's the maybe it's a slap happy. Oh All right. good. All right, so let's jump in. So we're gonna start this week's episode. Yeah, why don't you give us the, the rundown, the flow? Uh, bro, I can't because I never finished it. Uh, g- give us the partial flow. Okay, so basically I like how you got how do. I how do and I just stop. So normally I create a flow, and that's how I th- here's a secret sauce to how I write my podcast notes. I write the flow of, of a basic, like here's like the main highlight points, and then I type it out. Whereas you normally start with questions and you answer yeah, questions. Yeah, I do, I do like four or five questions and then I I start answering those questions. Yeah, so we're going to skip that. But so to start the episode, though, I'm going to start it the way Folder likes to start his episodes with a quote. Ooh. And not just one quote, two quotes. Wow. 
I'll start with two. You ready for this, Fuller? Uh, let's go. All right, so we're going to start off with William Lane Craig. And uh, uh, I said Craig because I listened to uh, Justin Bryant. His, his name is William Lane Craig. But I say Craig because I listened to Craig. I listened to Justin Bradley's British Frog. accent a lot. So William Lake Craig says the problem of evil is certainly the greatest obstacle to belief in the existence of God. Mm. And then another quote from Peter Kreft says the problem of evil is the most serious problem in the world. It is also one serious objection to the existence of God. When Saint when Saint Thomas Aquinas wrote his great Summa Theologica, he could find only two objections of God even though he tried to elicit three, at least three objections to every one of the thousands of theses as he tried to prove in his great work. That's wild, for one for every three, and but instead he only found two in all of his work. One of the two objections is the apparent ability of natural science to explain everything in our existence without God, and the other is the problem of evil. More people have abandoned their faith because of the problem of evil than for any other reason. It is certainly the greatest test of faith, the greatest temptation to unbelief, and it's not just an intellectual objection. We feel it and we live it. Well, and we see this in the deconstruction all the time, man. Process all the time. Uh, Abraham of, Piper, John Steingard of John Nelson. Steingard. I remember his was that he was like, you can't prove the existence of God to me because if God was or the true, good, you can't prove the goodness of of a God. The, because the if God were well, you know, he said you can't prove the existence because the God that I would serve would not be that the guy that allow evil things to happen, and because of that I don't want to serve him. Like it's like, like same with jo- I, I, and I don't know. Was this was, was this the reason why like Joshua Harris walked? Away? I'm I don't not know. sure. I don't, I, know, I, don't words I know Charles Darwin, this was part of it too. Yes, it was. Um, but I know a very big person who walked away from their faith is someone that we bring up every now and then. And his, he's a, ready? New Testament chair at the University of North Carolina, Chapel yeah. Hill. Yep. Bart Ehrman. Yep. And so I have a quote from him. So I guess we're starting this with three different quotes Whoa. for this show. And so, and this is his own personal story. This is not a secondary source. This is from his own airmanblog.org. These are his own words. And he says about nine or 10 years ago, the, the at the date that he wrote this article, I came to realize that I simply no longer believe the Christian message. A large part of my movement away from the faith was driven by my concern for suffering. I simply no longer could hold to the view, which I took to be the essential. I simply no longer could hold to the view, which I took to be essential to the Christian faith, that God was active in the world, that he answered prayer, that he intervened on behalf of his faithful, that he brought salvation in the past, and that in the future, eventually, in the coming eschaton, he would set up, he would set to right all that was wrong, that he would vindicate his name, and that his people would bring in a good kingdom. And then parentheses, either at our deaths here on earth or in the future utopian existence. And then all caps, or not caps, bolded this part. We live in a world in which a child dies every five seconds from starvation. Every five seconds. Every three, there are 25 people who die because they do not have clean water to drink. Every hour, 700 people die of malaria. Where is God in all of this? We live in a world in which earthquakes in the Himalayas kill 50,000 people and leave 3 million without shelter in the face of an oncoming winter. We live in a world where a hurricane destroys New Orleans, where tsunamis kill 300,000 people in one foul swoop, where millions of children are born with horrible birth defects, and where is God? To say that he will eventually make it right, at uh, to say that he will eventually make it right, all that is wrong seems to me. Now, 
to be pure, wishful thinking. Mm. So when we read William Lane Craig, which is one of the greatest apologists, and uh, he's he's a philosophical thinker. So when you mm-hmm. whenever you read stuff from William Lane Craig, which I'm going to encourage you to read all the links that we have in the show notes, William Lane Craig starts with philosophy. Mm-hmm. Thomas Aquinas, he was trying to set out his masterwork and try to disprove the existence of God. And both of them said the problem of evil and suffering is the biggest stumbling block in the Christian right. faith. It's a huge philosophical point right because it's not just a theological idea it's a reality by which many people live and we see and so i don't even think i really need to describe what the problem of evil and suffering is because we all understand it and the problem of evil is simply that if god is good and all-powerful why on earth is there even evil then if god loves the world why does he let people suffer why like what bart airman said our children die of starvation that children's futures are destroyed by bad choices from their own parents why do bad things happen to good people why do good people get cancer why do good people get sick lose a job lose friends etc 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 and so that's kind of the question we're gonna be wrestling with today is what is or not what is but how do we handle this and does it actually Mm. disprove god and I kind of want to set up the philosophical conversation as well, because this is both going to be, I'm going to say like an upper story conversation, and then we're going to try to bring it into the lower story. What I mean by this is it's going to be a very high head knowledge, metaphysical conversation for a little bit. And then we're going to try to set that up because that's where the conversation lives and then bring it into the reality by which we might not try to prove it, but give encouragement to Christians who are wrestling with this conversation. All right. Sound good? I'm going to let you t- go, bro. You wrote it. I'm letting you go. Here we go. Buckle up, people. So generally, here's the thought process of this whole conversation, all right? And maybe you did some reasoning and logic exercises in school. And so this is a simple logic exercise. And it goes like this. A perfectly powerful beam can prevent any evil. That's premise number one. Number two, a perfectly good beam will uh, will prevent evil as far as he can. Number three, God is perfectly powerful and good. So if a perfectly powerful and good God exists, there would be no evil. There is evil. Therefore, God does not exist. And this is an article from the Gospel Coalition where it says, evil here is understood as any significant cause of pain and suffering in the world, whether moral, which is evil willingly caused by human beings, such as like murder, adultery, theft, rape, or natural evil harm caused by impersonal forces of nature, such as earthquakes, tornadoes, or the plague. So generally when people have this conversation, they set up what we call the logical flow of, of, of reason and with these different premises. And generally what a lot of people try to do is they build this whole tier. And then what the Christian apologist job is to pick a couple of these statements to try to poke holes at them mm-hmm. or the, um, the atheist argument will try to take a different holes and try to cause enough doubt in the other things that you're stuck believing that this worldview actually exists. So part of today's conversation is, is we can agree to certain things with this premise that a perfectly powerful being can prevent any evil. A perfectly good being will prevent evil as far as he can. God is perfectly powerful and good. So if a perfectly powerful and good God exists, there would be no evil. There is evil, so therefore God does not exist. We can agree to certain tenets of that argumentation and that reasoning, such as there is evil in the world. Oh, there definitely is evil. We can agree with that one. I think we also can agree with the fact that a perfectly powerful being can prevent yes. any evil. Um, we believe that God is perfectly powerful and that he is good. Yep. However, I think there's argumentation to be have around the idea of a perfectly good being will prevent evil as far as he can. Yep. And that 
if a good and powerful God exists, there would be no evil. Right. I think those are the kind of the two premises that people tend to try to argue against from a Christian well, worldview. They're they're absolutely speculation, right? Mm-hmm. Because none of us are a perfectly powerful being. None of us are. So how would we know exactly how a perfect powerful being would act other than what we want to speculate how they would act right and that's where i think some of like romans one comes in and no no other guy before me where they fashioned idols and gods out of themselves because generally when we try to fashion idols and gods out of ourselves what do we end up with we end up with greek mythology we Mm -hmm. end up with roman mythology we end up with nordic uh mythology all the different mythologies where you see these people who are being like gods and what do the gods do? They're just selfish people who use their power for their own gain and don't give a rip about anybody else. Sure. Which that's not what the God of the Bible presents. Right. And so a lot of time mythology, they would see these evils and sufferings worlds as it's like, Oh, they're not being good enough to the gods, So therefore the gods must be raining down evil against them. That's why the Bible says, well, no, the, 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 the rain, it rains on the just and the unjust. Right. You know, people happen with, with different things. And generally, when you're having this conversation, go back in the conversation, there's generally two worldviews that are fighting for this conversation. One is what I'm going to call is the divine worldview, not necessarily the Christian, but more of just the theocentric argumentation of there is a higher being and there's a God sure. out there, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the natural order of evolution, where in the natural world, pain, suffering is just part of the survival of the fittest. There's no purpose of suffering. It's just the circle of life. And our job is to just make it not sufferable for all the other people out there. Whereas in the religious life, suffering is viewed in many different lights. But we aren't talking about what uh, can religious people, Christian people believe in pain and suffering. We're, uh, let me back the sentence up. I think I misread it. So, In the religious life, suffering is viewed in many different lights, but we aren't talking about can religious people, Christian people believe in pain and suffering, but we're more so asking the question of does the pain and suffering that we see in the world disprove the fact that a good, gracious God of who he portrays himself to be can actually exist at all? And, you know, there's a lot of different research out there. And again, we're going to have links in the show notes. And if you want to have the philosophical mind, what, what, what I call mental gymnastics, and you want to read through all of that, we're, feel free to read them. William Lee Craig's amazing. The Gospel Coalition resource is amazing. Uh, there'll be a couple other links in the show notes. And I'm going to warn you, it will take you a long time to sift through all of these oh, yeah. articles because they're philosophical frameworks and questions. But what we're going to do today is not handle all of the argumentation that there is, but we're going to talk about some of the argumentation and then see what the Bible has to say about pain and suffering and what that means in our view of God. All right. So William Lane Craig, let's go back to his article. He says that there are two primary arguments against the existence of God, the logical and probabilistic arguments against God from suffering and evil. So the logical and the probabilistic. So the logical argument goes like this. According to the logical problem of evil, it is logically impossible for God and evil to coexist. If God exists, then evil cannot exist. And if evil exists, then God cannot exist. Since evil exists, it follows that God does not exist. And the probabilistic argument goes, the coexistence of God and evil is logically possible, but nevertheless, it's highly improbable. 
the extent and depth of evil in the world is so great that it's just, it's improbable. Like, it doesn't make sense that God could have morally sufficient reasoning for permitting it. Therefore, given the evil in the world, it's improbable that God exists. And I think this is where a lot of people tend to, 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 to bunker down this idea of like, I see it, it just logically, it doesn't make sense to me that a good God would let all these different things happen. Mm. And so with the first argument, I'm going to take an exact quote from William Lane Craig, and then we're going to handle the second part. Okay. All right. Let's go. So buckle up your thinking hat, boys and girls. Here we go. So William Lane Craig, regarding the first argument, the logical argument, he says this. But the problem with this argument, argument number one, is that there is no reason to think that God and evil are logically incompatible. There's no explicit contradiction between them. But if the atheist means there's some implicit contradiction between good and evil, then he must be assuming some hidden premise which bring out this implicit contradiction. But the problem is that no philosopher has able has ever been able to identify this premise. Therefore, the logical problem of evil, remember that if, if evil exists, God can. If God can, then evil cannot. Um, therefore, the logical problem of evil fails to prove any inconsistencies between God and evil. But more than that, we can actually prove that God and evil are logically consistent. You see, the atheist presupposes that God cannot have morally sufficient reasoning for permitting this evil in the world. But this assumption is not necessarily true. So long as it is even possible that God has morally sufficient reason for permitting evil, it follows that God and evil are logically consistent. And certainly, this does seem at least logically possible. Therefore, I am very pleased to be able to report that it is widely agreed among contemporary philosophers that the logical problem of evil has been dissolved. The coexistence of God and evil is logically possible. Because the biggest thing with the philosophical reasoning and arguments in terms of debates isn't trying to prove something, but prove that it's logically able to be done. Like, sure. do you remember that old debate with Ken Ham and uh, Bill Nye, the science guy? You said old debate? It wasn't that long ago. It was like ago. 2012? It wasn't that long ago. I was think it? it was like 10 years ago. Was it that long? I think it was that long ago. I thought it was like 2016, 2017. Bill Nye debate. Which I guess is. Bro, we in 2023 now. It happened on uh, February 4th, 2014. Yeah, so, so like nine years ago, All right. which is still a while okay. ago. But sure. in that, the, what they were trying to argue is just, is creation a viable idea and worldview by which to teach this beginnings of the world? Sure. And so they weren't trying to argue if this is the only way or the best way, but it's just a fact of, is this a logically consistent idea that you can have in the world? And that's what this whole argumentation is about, where the fact of, can you pr disprove the fact that you can't have one without the other? And the answer is no. Like it's like logically consistent that I think that God and evil can operate side by side. So the question then is, is how do we handle the second part? And that there's so much evil in the world that it just doesn't make sense why God would allow it, which this is where it gets really tricky because there's a lot of philosophical answers and each one of those articles gives different philosophical answers. We talked about your, your apologetics books that you love. Yep. It's all about different approaches to apologetics with sure. different argue, like lines of argumentation and reason and all these mm -hmm. different things. But the problem with this one is this isn't a philosophical mental argument to have because this is a like this is a problem that we see and feel and experience mm -hmm. you know and you can't always argue 
feelings with facts. I mean, there's the classic Ben Shapiro, facts don't care about your feelings. Like, like there are facts that it's like, well, I just don't feel that that that, that would be true. And it's like, who gives a rip? That's a fact. Like, it's just, it's a fact. Sure. But the thing is, the fact of this is something that we can't fully grasp our minds around. And so how can we prove it or disprove it? So it used to be the fact of everyone just believed God was good and exists, and you had to disprove that. And now we come from a different worldview of, no, no, no. We come from the standpoint of there is no God or agnostic. I don't know if there's really something out there. So now you have to give the arguments for God. Well, so you know? Joseph M. Holden says... Uh, we all each have our own uh, worldview glasses, yeah, right? The, uh, yeah, so, or bias is, is what other people do. And so, say, yeah. yeah, so that's what it means, right, is we all ha- come from different walks of life and different experiences, and because of those experiences in our, in, in our lives, we have a different worldview look, outlook on things. And so we have to establish some minor truths before we can dive into it, right, of you know what is evil, what mm-hmm. is God, you know, uh, it's just like any debate. You have to agree on the terms. You got to agree on the terms and, and, and agree on the definition of, of that the term. term. Yes. Because I could say the sky and I'm talking about the night sky. You're talking about the day sky, right? Or I'm talking, or we, I'm thinking all the ozone layers right. so, and you're yeah, thinking about just so the So we blue. have to, yeah, we have to establish that definition of, so we ha- understand before we can actually dive into mm-hmm. this type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the, the, the worldview, of each individual person has changed greatly, which is why this is more in the forethought of most people these days. Yeah, and so what we're going to do today is kind of reverse it and not try to prove God's existence in the midst of evil, but we're going to take the assumption that God does exist, and therefore, since God exists, we have his written word, and if we have his written word, we can see what he and his, his and Jesus right. and his followers had to say about evil and servant, how they understood so, it as well. So we're basically establishing the understanding that those who are listening right now are believers. Yep. And we're going to take it from that approach. Yeah, basically that like that's like exactly it. So we're not having a logical conversation with an atheist or an agnostic, but at the idea of the fact of if we follow this God, let's see what he has to say about evil and suffering. Sure. Because if you're trying to disprove Buddha or Allah or whatever, you generally go to their own holy works right. and try to disprove their holy works. Right. And so, but with uh, which we can see that there's a lot of inconsistencies and there isn't always answers for pain and evil and suffering, except for the fact of they just hate people. So they. So the question then is the fact of what does the Bible say about pain and suffering. So let's just start there. So what does the Bible say about it? And then what should our response be out of that? So right off the bat, we can, we know according to the Bible that it says, we don't see the full picture of God's plan. We don't see the whole thing in the same way where, you know, we've been having this, man, we've been having this come back to the personal world for a bit. We've been having a lot of arguments with our uh, certain kids maybe not always plural, about the fact that they think they have the perfect understanding, so they're arguing about why they need to do this stuff. And the the thing that I hear best say all the time is the fact of you don't hold the whole plan. You don't know the whole picture. Sure. You know what we tell you, but you don't see the whole plan. So you, how are you able to tell different things about what we're trying to accomplish and give, and basically it's like bossing your sisters and siblings around. But, you know, with our kids, they don't know the whole plan and picture all the time. Right. They have to trust us to get them through to the end of that plan. Mm-hmm. But generally they only see like a little bit. They don't have a full perspective on the whole plan. And the, so to speak, the fact of we are mortal beings, when you have an immortal God, we don't always see the full plan and picture of what God is trying to do. Right. You know, we see in first Corinthians 13, 12, it says, now we see things imperfectly 
like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will see everything completely just as God know, uh, just as God now knows me completely. And what the apostle Paul is trying to say here is the fact of, I can't see everything. I can see certain things. I can see some elements like, you know, in Ephesians talks about what the great mystery of the gospel is. And even the angels didn't understand what that is, but we know the great mystery is God incarnate. Sure. Die on the cross and, and, and redeem in humanity and mankind. And we can start to see little pictures throughout church history of like explanations. But at the end of the day, and people might think this is skirting the question of, oh, well, of course you're going to say that. If you don't know the whole plans of God, well, then you could just, you know, you literally could wiggle out of any sort of conversation. But it's true. But it is true. Like the fact that, again, my kids don't always know the full plan in the same way when you know, I, when I was an employee, I remember one time I stepped out of line, I stepped out of line, trying to do something different. And I had to get put back into my place by my boss. Cause he said, you don't see the full picture and you screwed some stuff up because of it. And so just the same way of different things is unless you know, the big picture, you don't know the big picture right. in the same way with, you know, Isaiah 55, eight through nine, it says, indeed, my plans are not like your plans. And my deeds are not like your deeds says the Lord for just as the sky is higher than the earth. So are my deeds superior to your deeds and my plans superior to your plans. And this is a scripture we quote a lot, except for we use the King, King Jimmy terminology. Yo, King Jimmy, my, where, my ways are not your ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. Yeah, my, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So that you'll hear us quote that a lot. And it's Isaiah 55. Yeah. I think that was NIV is from where I pulled it out. Cause I, I really like how, how they worded out. But mm-hmm. at the, in the day, the Bible does say both from, you know, God speaking through his prophet Isaiah, and then also even Paul and his understanding, they're both saying, we don't know everything. We right. could also include the passage, the fact of like, you know, who, like, like all of Job, who are you? Right. Who are you to say this? Were you there when I made this? Were you there right. when you did this? Like, I just picture like a mom just going to be like, scolding. Do you know this? And you know this? And uh, in the crown, they call it an undressing. Yeah. Like, and, and God is undressing Job and just exposing and being yeah. like, <sighs> God still viewed Job as righteous. Yes. Still viewed him after he scolded him. He scolded him, but he was t- more scolded. After he scolded him, he bad talked his friends more than he did Job. <laughs> it's true, and then we see like the potter and the clay of like who's the clay to the potter. Yeah, Romans, Romans eight, end of Romans eight. And so yeah. I, you know, a, 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 I'm just throwing it out there for anyone who's listening. If you use this reasoning with an atheist or an agnostic, they're going to think you're skirting the question, right? But in reality, if we're trying to disprove the God of the Bible and what He says, this is a fact that you have to be okay accepting. But in let's my let's stick in the realm of of we're talking to our Christian brothers who are struggling with this ancestors, right now. Ancestors, okay, I'm using the King Jimmy brothers, <laughs> yep. Bre- brethren, okay, brethren, <laughs> but but. Uh, let's stick in that realm right now. Let's, Damn. let's keep it here Yep. because this isn't, I don't think because we're going by scripture, right? It's not an apologetic, right? Right. No. It, it's a, it's an encouragement. And mm-hmm. so, um, I don't want people to think, okay, well I can use these in this apologetic against the atheists. Well, no, no it's because, an encouragement for you, for us as, as believers. Right. Cause, uh, I'm, I've, we know we've gotten lots of emails and, and questions about, about this very subject about why does God allow suffering? And, and so, yeah. Anyways, and, and I would love, and I would love to get my pastor on here because he that was one of his doctoral. I don't think it was it wasn't a doctoral thesis, but he had to write a solid paper in his doctoral mm-hmm. studies of just a theology of suffering because yep. of what he him and his family had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, but so right off the bat, we can see for the fact of God even flat out says, "Your thoughts are not my thoughts. You mm-hmm. don't know everything that's going on, and so don't 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 try to know everything that's going on." Sure. But another thing that it says is sometimes pain and suffering just does not make sense. Like that is fair to say that pain and suffering just does not always make sense. You know, you look at Job, 
He was a righteous man. He was good. And now we can see the backside of the story. Right. Well, we but can the see wild what was going thing on, is, right. Job didn't. Right. Like if we if we're stepping into Job's feet, yeah. he doesn't know what the heck is going on. And they they keep saying like everyone's like, "What'd you do, boss?" And Job's like, "I didn't do nothing." Right. I woke you must up have, like this. You better repent because you must have done this and this. He's like, I didn't do that. I didn't do any of this. I've, I've been a righteous man. I've, I've lived holy for God. I, I mean, that's that's who Job was, which is why God was throwing it out there for the test. But yep. yeah, exactly. And, and same so. for Joseph. Like Joseph, like he didn't ask for it. It just kind of, now, honestly, I mean, you if you're the baby, you probably shouldn't tell your brothers your dreams. That might just be a wise move. But, uh, it, but it's, it, it is what it is. But he went through so much with, Potiphar and Potiphar's wife with his brothers with being locked up for years and being forgotten. I mean, right. the dude spent just as much time in captivity and slavery than he did as a free man. Right. And he didn't know. I mean, there was no why. And all he could say at the end was, is what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Right. That's that Which was the, true. That was the only explanation that, that what Joseph had. True. And we also see that with Job of what, what, you know, Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Yep. And so sometimes our pain and suffering does, it just simply, we can, we can call a spade a spade. It does not make sense. Right, sure. It does not make sense. And we have to also understand that pain and suffering is also just simply a side effect of sin. In other words, it's sure. a it's a consequence. It's a response of sin, and it's a condition because of the fallenness world that we are living in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we see right off the bat that sin destroyed God's original creation. Right. Because, you know, God created a perfect earth with a perfect place with perfect people and everything. And then because of man's sin, you know, by one man's sin, death entered the world. That's what Romans 5.12 says. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all is sin. And I, I, I forgot to put the passage in here, too, but it even says that all of creation is groaning out for Jesus to come back and make all things new. So it's not even just the fact of we are dealing with stuff, but creation is also broke, which now then begs the question, okay, but if God made everything good, why did he allow it to be bad? Why did he allow all these things to happen? And again, we don't know the full picture. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of a sad reality to think about, kinda, and I think it's okay to grieve it. We kind of know the beginning, a little bit of the beginning, a little bit of the middle, and a little bit of the end. Right. That's what we know. We, yeah. we know that God created everything perfectly, and Adam and Eve sinned, which caused sin to enter the world. We know that Christ came and paid the died on the cross to pay, the, uh, pay for our sin. And then we know it, someday he's coming back. We know a little bit, but, but we don't the have meantime, the full picture. I do want to at least stop here and pause. This has nothing to do with the notes. It's just off the top of my head. I think it's okay to say that it's okay to grieve the pain and the suffering that's happening sure. in the world. We sure. see Jesus weeping over Lazarus' death. Yep. Uh, we see in Lamentations, um, what is it? Uh, for every time there is a season, a time for singing and rejoicing, a time for sorrow and grieving. Yep. You see David, you know, putting on to- ashes and ripping his right. clothes before God and, yep. and just begging him saying god where 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 are you i'm going through all this stuff it's not okay like sure. what, what's happening i mean <laughs> just yeah just read lamentations just read most of the psalms i mean you know there's 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 tons of times where you i mean even the, even was it is it proverbs where it goes um i don't know what's the best where it says uh rejoice with those who re- rejoice and weep with those who weep is that paul uh are you my bible looker upper I'm gonna, today i'm gonna look that up because because last time I'm, i was the bible looker upper yeah that was actually the christmas episode so Weep with those with weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, Romans 12. Ah, so it was Paul. was Paul, yep. So every time there is a season, so I think it's okay to lament and grieve the brokenness and fallenness of the world. But we also do, we got to continue, what does the Bible say about pain and suffering? So, so far we've seen the fact that we don't always see the full picture. 
Pain and suffering will not and does not always make sense from our point of view. Pain and suffering is a cause and effect of the sin and brokenness that is in all of creation. But at the same time, the Bible says that suffering can bring us closer to God and depend on him. Um, in James 1, 2 through 5, it says, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. But if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives to all generously without reprimand, and it will be given to him. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And then 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 says, Blessed be the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this. Even though now for just a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that your proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which is, per which is perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you are not seeing him now, you will believe, oh, sorry. Um, though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice in inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. Mm. So suffering, we always view as a bad thing, but right here off the bat, we see uh, Paul twice, right? Paul twice, uh, Joe, Paul, James, and Peter, two of those who were disciples of Jesus, the followers of the 12, said, think of trials not as like, woe is me, but it's preparing you for something even better. Well, and, and not only that, but you look at the story of Paul and Silas. I mean, they were praising and worshiping God in jail after being beaten and put in prison. They continue to take that suffering and praise God and, and worship him over it, which I think is the right attitude to have in any type of suffering, is to, hey, to God be the glory. I mean, it's not always fun, and I'm not saying that you have to be okay all the time with it, but remember, God is doing it for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think of that the uh, – I don't know if I put the passage in there or not, so if, if I did, we can go back to it. But the idea of the the blind man, right? Because the disciples walked up to Jesus, and, and they were like, so who's saying, homeboy or his parents? And Jesus was like, um, neither. Yeah. So sometimes pain and suffering doesn't make sense from our view, but it's to be used to glorify God, which Second Corinthians 1, I think, even says that – you know, in your suffering, you're a, uh, we are able to use that as, as a tool. And I'm saying, God, like, I'm not saying, God, let my dad die. God, you know, let me be divorced. He did all these things just so that way I can help somebody else. But I can use that. Sure. I can use those things to come alongside people and share my story and help people through their times of suffering, too. But in a way, he did allow it, right? Yeah. It was allowed because he could have stopped in it his, at any point. In his, in in his, his divine nature. And in his allowable will. Yep. I think is what the term you like to use, right? Is that the term, right? Yeah. Allowable will? Allow, the allowable will of God, yeah. And again, it's Perfect confusing. It doesn't make will, sense. Right. But if we're looking at what Scripture says about the belief of is God really real, it's the fact so far we've seen that, you know, suffering 
coexist with God because of the fall. But God uses our suffering to bring us closer to him. But we also do have to remember, and this was something that Bart Ehrman said, where he basically just said, he goes, I'm calling bullcrap on the fact of Jesus make all things new in the end. He goes, what does that do for us right now? But I think part of what we need to understand and realize is that this actually is a temporary home. But at the same time, I don't think we need to separate the, you know, physical reality from the spiritual reality because Jesus did come to these physical bodies. Our bodies do matter because our bodies were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with them. So I think we need to, you know, make sure we understand where it's not the fact of we're just here. So we'll try to isolate ourselves and our side of our little bubble and do it not like, no, we get to play a part in God's story while we're here on earth. But we do have to remember that at the end of the day, God will make all things new. You know, we see in John three sixteen that God loved the world in this way. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, have eternal life. And then he continues on that says that Jesus wasn't here to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. First Corinthians 15, three through four says that for I pass on to you as most important, which I have received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that Colossians 2.14 says he erased the certificate of debt and take it away by nailing it to the cross. So even here in our earthly states with evil and suffering, right here, even before the end of time, Jesus makes all things new for us right here, right now. We are made new. We are made new. We are no longer an old creation. We're a new creation, but we can also look to the glorious coming of Jesus in the right. same way of, that's what our baptism is supposed to remind us in the same way that we were buried in him, we will also be raised in him. Yep. Communion, we're looking forward to Hill till he returns again. Revelation, Jesus will come back and make all things new. Right, but he's also at the same time right now, transforming and renewing our minds through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing us closer to him. He's setting us apart now, right? So we are new. We are a new creation made in him. We've put off the old man and put on the new. There, there's all this this terminology that that is throughout the New Testament about how, yes, Jesus is going to make all things new physically, but right now he's made us spiritually new, which changes our perspectives of things, right? Because what before I was new, any suffering, it was what was me. But now I see suffering as praise be to the Lord God Almighty. Right, because he has of a your will. perspective shift because, in your lens. Right, because he has a will for why I'm going through this. I don't know what the will is. I don't know why, but it's all in his purpose and his timing. And that is not the same mindset that I would have had before I was saved. And that leads into the final point that I have is the fact of the hope in Christianity, or the, the hope in Christianity is the answer to the evil we are dealing with. But if we don't have hope that something better will come, what are we hoping in? Right. Seriously, honest to goodness, what, what are we hoping in? Well, and that's the, that's one of the questions in apologetics, right? Is is if this if there is no God, right? Mm-hmm. If Christianity isn't real, there isn't a, a coming, a second coming of Christ, a, a new creation, new heaven, new earth. What's the purpose of life? Why is it? Why do I have to be good to my fellow man? Why do I have to adhere to morality? And people will say, okay, that's just the right thing to do. But what if but that's who, not who, the right but thing? But who, who decides is right? right. And, and that's that's the moral argument. That's right. going, going into apologetics right. a little right. bit. That's exactly. the moral argument. Right, exactly. Of if that's the case, it's survival of the fittest. Yeah. We shouldn't look after widows and orphans, which the Romans did not do. Well, but the uh, Christians did. The deformed, the 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 handicapped, I mean, uh, the elderly. The the, the, I mean, yeah, exactly. So that, that's what they did, discard them, right? But we're not called to discard anybody. Right. No, we're, and matter of fact, 
we're called to go to those people specifically to take and care of them. And I will say, as a Christian, that's where I've you know struggled because like I don't, I'm not good at that. Well, you know, I don't. I disagree, but okay. <laughs> um, that's that's something I I, I do struggle I with. I think I think you took five girls into your home. Five girls and a Beth, but no dog yet. No dog yet. You don't need a dog, bro. I know. Anyways, let's move on into that. But the, so the, the so the hope, uh, the hope in Christianity is the answer to the evil. I got two long passages from Romans. Romans three twenty one through twenty six says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because his restraint... Uh, because of in his restraint, God passed over sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. In Romans 8, 18 through 30, here we go. You ready for this one? I'm ready, bro. And then I got one more extra point to add to this with, remind me of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, but it says, Romans 8, 18 through 30, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's Son to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, which is another point of why our mm-hmm. bodies are actually good. Now in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it eagerly with patience. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also sends us, oh, sorry, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts and minds will uh, the minds of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he did predestine, he also called those he called. He also justified and those he justified. He also glorified predestination in a nutshell <laughs> and so but the other thing too though the fact that we have to lean into it i want to bring this up with ephesians 2 8 and 9 is the fact of you know the salvation that we can receive from god we can't even earn it the fact of you know for uh ephesians 2 8 um wow why am i blanking so bad because it's late <laughs> wow i just had a massive brain fart of ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you're saved through faith but not of yourself it's god's gift not of work so that no one could boast right. but then it says for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which he already has planned for us. So I do want to lean into the fact of even though there is pain and suffering in the world, we're not called to just sit and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Now we're called to go do good works right? and to tell more people about the faith and to take care of more people and to love on more people. Whether or not we get recepted back or not, we're called to do good, which, oh, man, my shirt under my 
hoodie or uh, a crew neck says do good. Actually, it says do good, but we're called to do good inside of that. So when we see the evil and suffering in the world and we look at just what the Bible says, we see the fact that suffering is here. It's present. It's active. It stinks. It's not going away anytime soon. It ain't going away until Jesus fixes it. However, there has been things that are redeeming us in the good thing. Because when we look at all the pain and evil and suffering in the world, what, what was the reason why the slave trade was stopped? Christians. Who started Sunday schools to teach kids how to read and to write? Christians. Who started hospitals to take care of the weak and the sick? Christians. Who are the people who are creating foster cares and adoption systems all over the world? Christians. It's the Christian worldview that we have with the fact that we are called to go into it to be a light in the darkness, to be an answer to the evil, because at the end of the day, if there is no reason that pain and suffering exists, I mean, as crass as what this is, screw them and just worry about yourself. Right. Yeah. It's, you know? uh, it's the argument of morality again, right? Survival of the fittest. Uh, what's that? Uh, natural selection. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's survival of the fittest. If you ain't strong, you will die. Was, you were naturally selected to die. So based upon your appearance, sucks to suck. physicality, whatever. And so even though the problem of evil is never going to go away until, you know, the other side of, of, of either this life, eternity or glory, I feel like Christianity actually has a good answer to it. In fact, I think the I don't want to say the problem of evil proves the existence of God, but I think the fact that that there is evil in there and that there is a hope and answer for the evil and that the people who have followed Jesus have stepped up or risen to that challenge, sure. I think actually proves the fact of we have an answer to the evil that is out there. Is it good? No. Does God allow it? Yes. Why? We don't always know because we ain't got the full picture. Will he always allow it? Nope. So, all right, so let's land this plane here. Let's uh, let's start moving down. Up. Let's move down into the to the. Let's lower the flaps and the landing. Lower gear. the flaps and the landing gear. I see that you got this long article, and I'm going to suggest. Oh, it's so good though. I'm going to suggest that people go read it. Oh man, but it's a good one. And I want you to give us like a synopsis of of what it says. Can you do that? Because it's it's a long it's a long one, and 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 yeah, it's long. Very long. Apologetic press. All right, so I'll read the last two two paragraphs because those are really good All ones. Right, go for it. So it says, so the the long one, how about this? I'll put this in the Facebook group. If I don't, someone remind me, I'll drop this quote in the Facebook group so that way we can interact well, with it. Well, it's there. also going to be in the show notes, so go yeah. back. I, I encourage you to read it. So this is from apologeticspress.org, and the article is the problem of suffering. And the his last two um last two paragraphs, uh Trevor Major says this. Contrary to the atheist is certain. A Christian's faith in God is not a humiliating emotional crutch, but a source of joy in overcoming the practical and existential problem of suffering. Christians, I believe, know within themselves that their faith has been a source of strength. All they see in the atheist charges is an allegation of internal inconsistency leveled by people who frequently know little to nothing of Scripture and who perhaps will never have experienced a full spiritual life. Only by being faithful to God can we attest to the perfect revealing of his redemption, redemptive plan, which is for us to live with him forever. Quote, don't you think it's awful? The atheist speaks with in, um, in, incredul- incredulity once more. Quote, that God will condemn those people who don't bow down and worship him and only him. What would be worse is that there was no God to punish the Nero's, Hitler's, child molesters of the world. There is a God if there is any justice at all. In the meantime... Uh, the words of Peter remind us that the Lord is not slow. Uh, the, 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 let's back this up. In the meantime, 
The words of Peter remind us that the Lord is not slow about his patience, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but that all will come to repentance. God is just before us. The only question remains is, are we just before him? Mm. And the only way we are just before him is through Christ. Mm -hmm. And then to follow even with that, and this is all in my final thought, and I'll be done. I'll let you give yours, homie. So Sean McDowell says this in an article that he wrote, Do We Suffer Because of Sin? He says, The problem of suffering and pain is not unique to Christianity. It is a challenge every worldview must address. Even though there are many unanswered questions, I am a Christian. Uh, I, I am a Christian is because I believe the Christian response to pain and suffering is the most existent, existent, existentially existentially. I haven't said that word a lot. I can't say that. Existentially and rationally satisfying. That the Christian response to pain and suffering is both existentially and rationally satisfying. Yeah, I would say uh, for my final thought, uh, I would just uh, the premise of morality of pain and suffering the world does not have an answer for other than it just is it just is mm -hmm. so it, it it's funny how they can accept that it just is and not just accept that god just allows it's to me it's easier for me to accept that god is allowing it but it's going to make it right in the end than to say well it just is and that's just the way it is and and then you get into the whole discussion of the philosophical side of morality mm -hmm. um the the good news for us as christians is that we do have a hope we do know what and first peter is, says a living hope that we we know there is a purpose for suffering we may not know what that purpose is but we know that there is some purpose god has some reason why us christians are going through it and so we should stand fast and and rejoice um that the trying of our patience is like the trying of our faith produces patience. Right. And, and so we are, are, are like a goal being refined by fire in those times of suffering and pain. And when we look at the, the suffering and pain of the world, that should invigorate us to go out and to do good works, to help, to, to do the calling in which we were called to take the good news, but not just in the good news to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that is what we should be doing in these times and circumstances. Time for Fun Facts with Fillmore. It never gets old. No, and that's a it, it's a good transition. It's, it's a good that that cheerful laughter, like what the what the, the innocence the other feller the, said the about the the, 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 the innocence and cuteness of the laugh. But all right, dude. Let's end this train. It was a it was a hefty long episode. I've talked a lot and my throat is hurting. So let's get this fun fact so underway and let's send these merry people on their way. This fun fact is actually kind of a disgusting fact. What? So, I, I closed my iPad, so I can't see it. So the fun fact of the day is did you know that Greeks and Romans used to use crocodile dung as skincare? Like poop? Like, crocodile poop? Like poopy poop. So, like the, so the ancient Greeks and Romans believed that crocodile feces was beneficial for the skin and frequently used the substance oh. as an early anti-aging treatment. According to the plastic surgeon Terry Dubrow, who's a medical doctor, the substance was frequently, frequently combined with mud to create face masks. So it's your mud mask, bro, with a little crocodile feces. Can you imagine like, hey, I need to get me a mud mask. I'm going to go find me a crocodile. 
I mean, we use manure to have better grass, so maybe well, it gives us better pores. It does for the better better vegetables, too. That's true. As I'm saying, like, manure is some good stuff. Sure. But ain't touching my face, though. I was going to say, you want to... Oh, it's, it's going like, to anti-age me here. Do we are, are we really going to trust anything that comes out of antiquity when it comes to makeup? Because, like, the Egyptians used lead in their eye makeup. Well, not only that, but they also used to use dead mice because they thought it helped with toothaches. Which is so gross. It's just weird. I don't know. There's a lot of really gross things in the world, but... There, there, there are very, very, very many. But that was a solid fun fact to end the show on today, man. So yeah, I appreciate you yeah. showing up week in and week out. And we also appreciate you showing up week in and week out to tune into every single episode of RTC. I know we got so many new listeners. We have old listeners. We have rewinders. And we are thankful for all of you guys. Make sure you hit us up in the Facebook group, Instagram, Facebook, all the plays on social media so we can continue the conversation and maybe even find a community of other believers that you can get connected with. Also, check us out on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button and the bell notification. And follow us for more fun facts with Fuller and Fuller. (laughs) You like that? Fun fact with Fuller and Fuller. Yeah. So who's the real Fuller? Will the real Fuller please stand up? And you see I'm sitting. Oh, Janelle stood up. Oh, okay. Oh, goodness. So she's the real Fuller. That that, that (laughs) makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But uh, also, uh, if you guys, it's early in the year. So now is the time to go to revivefest.com and get your tickets so you can come and hang out with Real Talk Christian Podcast in July, six months away. And they run a lot of specials where if you buy like a like a the Saturday buy, ticket, you, you get, get the Friday, like Friday pass, free. So make it a weekend with RTC. Will you will be there all weekend just hanging out? And if so you're from some us. random place like I don't know. Um, Canada. They also have a campground where you can just stay on site. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. But you guys are amazing too. We love you guys. Thank you again for tuning week in and week out. Keep those rhythms in place to keep you going through 2023. And we'll keep hanging out with you out through the rest of the year. Sound good, Fuller? Sounds good. Cool beans, man. Well, hey, until next time. Take it easy.